Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, happy week of Christmas. Today is the shortest day of the year, if I'm remembering correctly. Might have been yesterday, might have been last night, the longest night of the year, or it's tonight, one or the other. But we're on the winter solstice. And for those of us living way up north, and I I certainly noticed this the years that Louise and I lived in New Hampshire and Vermont as well. Boy, you know, when the sun goes down at 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon, you notice it. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Anyhow, happy winter solstice. The holiday, you know, this was the day pre-Christianity when the head priest in some village in Germany would go up on the top of a mountain and light a pine tree on fire to reignite the sun because the days had been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then tomorrow and the next day and the next day as the days get longer and longer, people will all say, oh, he did it again. Look at that. You know, keep him in power for another year. And uh, thus we light Christmas trees, uh, which are actually solstice trees. But anyway, because, you know, Jesus wasn't lighting trees and things. But I wanted to start out with two stories, one about the stimulus bill, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but the other about COVID and this new variation of COVID that has caused not only Boris Johnson, the conservative prime minister of the United Kingdom, a fellow in arms with Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and, you know, basically the Republican Party in the United States and the Tories in the U.K., Right down to the point that Boris Johnson let the virus just rip wild through the British population for months because his science advisor, his health minister, was saying, well, yeah, herd immunity, that's a good thing. We should do that. And now Sweden, which, what was his name, Engel, I believe his last name was, the Swedish economist said, well, we should just protect the people who are vulnerable and let everybody else get sick and get immune. 
And now he has apologized. The king of Sweden came out and said, this is stupid. Other Scandinavian countries are offering emergency support as Sweden has been melting down. Well, the UK is melting down. And when you allow a virus to rage like Boris Johnson did for a while, I mean, he put a stop to this a month or three ago. But here in the United States, we've never put a stop to it at the level of the nation the federal government. In fact, we now know from internal emails that we have seen that the goal of the Trump administration was to infect as many Americans as possible, which means that the goal of the Trump administration and the Republicans in Congress who support them was to, frankly, kill as many Americans as possible. And they've done a very good job of that. They've killed over 300,000 of us so far. They have permanently disabled what will probably be four, five, six million of us so far. And they have given 18 million of us a pre-existing condition that the insurance companies will play with us about for years and years. If we sign up for privatized Medicare, like Medicare Advantage, or if you're under 65 and you just are stuck with private insurance companies. Um, so, you know, that's where we're at. But now one of the downsides of letting a virus just rip is that there are lots more viral replications. The way a virus works is it attaches itself to the outside of a cell. It's different for different viruses. It uses some one of the surfaces, one of the sites on the surface of that cell as basically an entry point, as a keyhole that it fits into like a key and, and inserts itself into the cell and then it pours its DNA or its RNA into the cell and hijacks the cell's own master control system. It's like a computer taking over a computer and causes the cell to convert all of its own physical material, the, the, the cytoplasm and all, you know, it, basically everything in the cell gets converted into viruses until finally the cell dies and bursts open and millions of new viruses are released into the body. So that's how viruses work. So the question is, what causes them to stick to that cell? And we know that on the COVID virus, it's this spike protein. And it's, a, it's actually a fairly complex protein that is attached to the virus that is sort of like the uh, tongue on a fly, you know, where they, where they uh, you know, it's got a little sucker on the end of it. And the fly lands on your hand and goes, you can see his tongue going tap, 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 and he's, as he's eating, uh, or, you know, or sucking up the food. Well, the spike protein is kind of like that. And it appears, and now this is, I'm, I'm trying to use metaphor to explain what I was reading over it in the doing a deep dive in the British Medical Journal over the weekend. But it appears that basically the new variation of this virus, it is it has a snappy new name. It's called the VIU 202012-01. In other words, it's the variant under investigation from December 2020. Two zero zero. Two zero two zero one twelve slash oh one the day day one of uh, December twenty twenty. Um, it's the N five zero one Y mutation on the spike protein, and and apparently what this does is it makes this virus essentially stickier for our individual cells and the uh, these little ACE two receptors, these sites on the cells that the that the virus uses to inject its material into our cells so it can infect us. So whereas it used to be that if you were, you know, in a store and, and breathing the air that everybody's breathing, you might breathe in a few dozen or a few hundred or even a few thousand virus particles, but it takes 
tens of thousands or maybe even millions of virus particles to be hitting you before a couple of them actually stick to a cell and begin the cell replicating and boom, you've got COVID, right? Um, And nobody knows the exact numbers and I'm just throwing out for example numbers here, you know, whether it's 20 viruses or whether it's 20 million viruses that it takes to produce an infection. One thing we do know is that the more viruses there are, the rapider the the infection overwhelms your immune system and the more severe your case is. That's one thing that they're quite sure of. So it appears that this mutation means that instead of being exposed to a thousand virus particles to get infected, now it only takes 500 or maybe 600. It's 74% more infectious. Or instead of being exposed to 10 million virus particles, now it only takes, you know, 6 million or, you know, 4 million, whatever would be 74% more. And what that means for us, nobody's really sure of, but the best guess is that, you know, we used to stand six feet away where everybody's wearing a mask because that would reduce the number of virus particles to the point where typically if any got through, they didn't infect us. It may be, and nobody is asserting this yet, because we just don't know enough about this virus, but it may be that that six feet no longer works. And this was part of the debate that I was seeing over at, uh, as I recall it, BMJ, is should we raise the distance from six feet, two meters, to uh, five meters, 15 feet, that people stay stay away from each other? Do we need to increase ventilation in buildings? Things like that. There are other questions as well. You know, we don't know what to make of this quite yet, except that it's probably really not a good thing. And, you know, other questions, does this, because this is a mutation on the spike protein and the vaccine targets the spike protein, does that mean the vaccine will be less effective? Best guess is no, the vaccine will be just fine because it targets multiple sites on the spike protein. There's there's all different kinds of pieces to that protein. And basically our bodies are producing it, but we're producing the unmutated version of it rather than the mutated version of it. So maybe they're going to want to tweak the, the vaccine. But again, you know, this is so new, nobody knows. So I just wanted to bring you up to speed on it. There's also speculation. If you look at a heat map of the speed with which infections are increasing in the United States, not the number of infections, but the speed with which they're increasing, Los Angeles looks like it's like the epicenter of the United States right now on that particular type of heat map. And there's some speculation that that might be the virus that came from the UK. Now, in the UK, they've got this thing called the COVID-19 Genomics Consortium, which is the government of the United Kingdom combined with or along with 12 different academic institutions. And they're continuously sampling COVID samples all over the United Kingdom looking for genetic variations. Our federal government, to the best of anybody's knowledge that I've been able to find, isn't doing squat. Because, of course, the Trump administration has been pushing this herd immunity strategy rather than trying to get the virus under control, which is why we have 300,000 plus, you know, third of a million dead Americans. So we don't know here. And we won't know, probably for a little while, until some private academic institutions start, you know, getting samples of the virus from Los Angeles and other hotspots and checking them out. But there's something funky going on here with regard to this virus. And, you know, I can't wait until I can get a vaccine.
I just, I can't tell you, you know, and even though we don't yet know, I mean, you know, broadly exactly how effective it is, it appears to be 94, 95%, 97%, depending on how you read the study. But it was, you know, these were relatively small studies of relatively small numbers of people. And now we're we're vaccinating millions of Americans, which is a great thing. And that means that we're going to have millions of examples of whether this works or whether it doesn't work. So step by step, right? Meanwhile, the Vatican has come out and said, you know, this virus was developed using fetal tissue. It was tested on fetal tissue. And so the Vatican has come out and said, if you're Catholic, it's okay to get the vaccine, even though it was developed using fetal tissue. This was aborted fetuses. You know, the wonders of science, right? It's okay. So if you're Catholic, you're in good shape. Anyhow, we'll be right back. I want to get into the uh, negotiations for coronavirus relief right after this. You know, there's been a debate going on for 40 years about whether Reagan's, what uh, George Herbert Walker Bush during the primaries in 1980 called voodoo economics, uh, trickle-down economics, Reaganomics, uh, whether it works or not. Does it work to stimulate the economy and, and help the lot of the average working person to cut taxes on rich people, like Donald Trump did, you know, in 2017? Trillion and a half dollar tax cut for the rich. Does that help the economy? Well, the London School of Economics, the most prestigious institution, economics institution in the world, just did the most comprehensive study on this, including 20 OECD nations, the rich, 20 of the richest nations in the world, including the United States and the United Kingdom, which is where this insanity began back in, in the early 1980s with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. And the results are shocking. We lay the whole thing out in a new video that's over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Okay, so the new new variation of the COVID virus is so sticky that it, it infects people more easily. Where nobody's exactly sure what we need to do about that other than don't expose yourself to the virus. And, you know, I mean, that's just like... And meanwhile, the Vatican has said, yes, we, we get it that these vaccines were all tested on aborted fetal tissue. It's okay. Take the vaccine anyway. Now, meanwhile... We're watching what's going on with the Republican Party and the so-called stimulus. The Republican coronavirus, their uh, negotiations over the last six months, I think tell us everything we need to know about the Republican Party and why it needs to either be rebuilt from the ground up or die a rapid death. I mean, this party, this Republican Party is just a mess. First, back in May, the Democrats in the House of Representatives passed a $3 trillion bill that funded state and local governments, prevented people from losing their homes or being kicked out for not paying their rent, covered $600 a month right into the, you know, the early parts of next year, which is coming in very shortly, funded that into the next year, and basically you know, provided all kinds of money for all, lots and lots of programs that would help basically keep America from collapsing. $3 trillion. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate said, we're not even going to discuss it. We're not even going to bring it up in committee. We're going to hold no hearings on this whatsoever. Screw it. We're not going to do it. Too much money for average Americans, and there's nothing in here for the billionaires. So the Democrats came back with a $2 trillion compromise. 
And they said, well, how's this? And Mitch McConnell said, no, no. And in fact, he said, that's too much money for average Americans. Two trillion dollars. And even though like, you know, three, four hundred billion of it was leftover CARES Act money and more than half of it was going to big corporations, giant corporations and whatnot, the, the Republicans still said, no, that's way too much money going to average working people. So then the flag that Mitch McConnell had been hanging on to desperately up until this point was language in, that he wanted in this COVID relief bill that would make it illegal for you to sue your employer if your employer forces you into circumstances that cause you to get sick or injured, including from COVID. And the Democrats just drew a line in the sand at that. And in fact, it was largely the House Progressive Caucus that drew that line in the sand and prevented that from, you know, even negotiations on that. So McConnell went back to the drawing board. He was like, okay, we've got to give something to our donors right? The billionaires, the multimillionaires, and the giant corporations in America who, who are entirely responsible for the, or largely responsible for funding and entirely responsible for defining the marching orders for the Republican Party, they have to get something. And it has to be something more than just, you know, uh, 300 bucks a month for average working people. They, they've got to get a lot, a hell of a lot more than just 300 bucks. They have to get a hell of a lot more than 1200 bucks. So there's this provision in the law that says that if you own a business or if you're an executive and employee of a business and you have a business luncheon where business is discussed, then you can write off half the cost of that lunch. But there's one big caveat. The entire cost of the lunch, half of which you're writing off, in other words, you're asking you and me, these companies are asking you and me through our tax dollars to pay for half the cost of their lunch because they're getting a tax deduction on it. We have to make up that government revenue with our taxes, right? So, you know, first of all, they've got the taxpayers paying for half their lunch right now, but it has to be a reasonable cost. So like when Paul Ryan would go to lunch with lobbyists and they'd buy him $600 bottles of wine, you know, he was famous for that when he was Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House. That would not have qualified as a reasonable expense. Even a, a, a you know, $100 lunch in a Trump hotel wouldn't have qualified as a reasonable expense. And so they've changed, the, the compromise is, okay, McConnell, we'll give you, you know, when you go to lunch with lobbyists, you can have a $600 bottle of wine like Paul Ryan did. And when people, when business people eat in the fancy schmancy restaurants in the Trump hotel, they can deduct the entire expense. And so now it looks like Republicans are going to go along with it. The three-martini lunch has nothing to do with martinis. It has to do with deductibility. That's just a handy phrase. But that's what's going on. They finally found something that they could give to their billionaire donors. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Ezra Klein's new book, Why We're Polarized. This is from the introduction, and it's a couple pages into it. I'm starting out here. I have found that American politics is best understood by braiding two forms of knowledge that are often left separate. The direct on-the-ground insights shared by politicians, activists, government officials, and other subjects of my reporting, and the more systemic analyses conducted by political scientists, sociologists, historians, and others with the time, methods, and expertise to study American politics at scale. On their own, political actors often ignore the incentives shaping their decisions, and academic researchers miss the human motivations that drive political decision-making. Together, however, they shine bright light on how and why American politics works the way it does. There's much awry in American politics, and I won't in this book attempt to catalog all of it. But I've come to believe the master story, the one that drives almost all divides and most fundamentally shapes the behavior of participants, is the logic of polarization. That logic, put simply, is this. To appeal to a more polarized public, political institutions and political actors behave in more polarized ways. As political institutions and actors become more polarized, they further polarize the public. This sets off a feedback cycle. To appeal to a yet more polarized public, institutions must polarize further. When faced with yet more polarized institutions, the public polarizes further, and so on. Understanding that we exist in relationship with our political institutions, that they are changed by us and we are changed by them, is the key to this story. We don't just use politics for our own ends. Politics uses us for its own ends. There are many different types of polarization possible, and I'll discuss some of them later in the book, but the locus of polarization I'll discuss is on political identity. And that requires saying a few words about a term that should be very useful in American politics, but that has become almost useless, identity politics. A core argument of this book is that everyone engaged in American politics is engaged in identity politics. This is not an insult, and it's not controversial. We form and fold identities constantly, naturally. Identity is present in politics in the way gravity, evolution, or cognition is present in politics. That is to say, it is omnipresent in politics because it is omnipresent in us. There is no way to read the literature on how humans form and protect their personal and group identities, literature I will survey in this book, and believe that any of us is immune. It runs so deep in our psyches, so activated so easily by even weak cues and distant threats, that it is impossible to speak seriously about how we engage with one another without discussing how our identities shape that engagement. Unfortunately, the term identity politics has been weaponized. It is most often used by speakers to describe politics as practiced by members of historically marginalized groups. If you're black and you're worried about police brutality, that's identity politics. If you're a woman and you're worried about the male-female pay gap, that's identity politics. But if you're a rural gun owner decrying universal background checks as tyranny, or a billionaire CEO complaining that high tax rates demonize success, or a Christian insisting on nativity scenes in public squares, well, that's just good old-fashioned politics. 
with a quick sleight of hand, identity becomes something that only marginalized groups have. The term identity politics in this usage obscures rather than illuminates. It's used to diminish and discredit the concerns of weaker groups by making them look self-interested. Special pleading in order to clear the agenda for the concerns of stronger groups, which are framed as more rational, proper topics for normal political debate. But in wielding identity as a blade, we have lost it as a lens, blinding ourselves in a bid for political advantage. We're left searching in vain for what we refuse to allow ourselves to see. All politics is influenced by identity. Those identities are most powerful when they are so pervasive as to be either invisible or uncontroversial. American is an identity. So too is Christian. When politicians, including the irreligious, end speeches with God bless America, it's not because they're making an appeal to a higher power, but because they're making an appeal to our bedrock identities. If you don't believe me, ask yourself why there are so few open atheists or even agnostics in national politics. This does not mean that politics is an equation solved by locating identity. Identity shapes our worldview, but it does not mechanistically decide it. And while we often speak of identity as a singular, it is always a dizzying plural. We have countless identities, some of them in active conflict with each other, others lying dormant until activated by threat or fortune. Much that happens in political campaigns is best understood as a struggle over which identities voters will inhabit come election day. Will they feel like workers exploited by their bosses or heartlanders dismissed by coastal elites? Will they vote as patriotic traditionalists offended by NFL players who kneel during the national anthem or as parents worried about the climate their children will inhabit? What we are often fighting over in American politics is group identity and status. Fights that express themselves in debates over policy and power, but cannot be truly reconciled by either. Health policy is positive sum, but identity conflict is zero sum. The book, Why We're Polarized, by Ezra Klein. Pick up your phone calls and see what's up here. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind today? Tom, I'm mad as you know what. I'm upset about this relief. And uh, first time, I know that you always invite uh, elected officials to come on, and you said they can talk about anything that's going on, legislation or anything. I'm hoping, I know the progressives come on, but I wish more of the moderates would come on and talk about this woefully insufficient it's not even relief. I like what Representative Presley said. She said it's just survivor. You can basically right. survive on it, I guess. Tom, I heard Bernie Sanders say that, you know, a large portion of the money is carried over from the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. Then he said, so really, this is tantamount to maybe $300 billion or $400 billion in new money, which is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right. And it is abysmal and atrocious. Now, Tom, you've been in negotiations. I'm familiar with negotiations. And we know that you have to know your adversary. I knew that the Republicans would pull some last-minute crap like this. And then when I have Schumer and Clyborne try to pass it off as, oh, yeah, well, we did something before Christmas. Let's be grateful. Let's be joyful. We did something. I knew nothing good would come with Joe Manchin 
and that group that negotiated this time, the group of corporate is a centrist. Nothing ever good comes for working class people and families when it's a bipartisan um, initiative. That, that's my personal opinion. So now well, I think experience Tom, backs you up, Pam. Tom, I ride around in my car. And let me just tell people I'm in Chicago and I live in one of those communities that are hurting. And I know rural communities are hurting. So, you know, I donate to our Chicago uh, food depository. I ride around with hot meals in my car as well as canned goods, Tom. And I might have to stop on a corner and just deliver them to people on the street. And you know mm-hmm. how in need people are, Tom, because they will take it, even in this midst of COVID. They will take food from a stranger, whether it's a hot meal or whether it's just, a, you know, a packaged goods. Mm-hmm. I am disgusted, Tom. So when any Democratic elected official comes on your program, make them explain this in detail and answer for this. People yeah. like Mitch I, McConnell and this. Republican Party time on the street, they would be called thugs. I want them gone two time. I have no respect for Republicans, and I'm almost getting to the point where I can't even tolerate people who should voted for voted for these Republicans. This is I'm completely with you, Pam. And 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 as you know, this show has a standing policy of any politician who wants to come on and take questions from either me or my callers. They can, they can choose not to take questions from callers, but they, they're going to have to answer my questions. Uh, that door is open. And, and what we have found over the now? years is that, by and large, those Democrats who take large quantities of corporate money are unwilling to come on not just this show, but any progressive show, and certainly unwilling to take uh, questions from, from audiences. And, 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 and it's not just Democrats. I mean, all, virtually the entire Republican Party has stopped doing, and this, this goes back almost 10 years now, stopped doing town halls. And, and you know, and, and a lot of corporate Democrats don't. Some do. Some, you know, some try their best. Um, we'll continue reaching out to them, Pam, and I will continue to try to hold them responsible. But, uh, you know, we've got a small number of, of Democrats who figured out that, you know, if you if you do the people's work, the people will support you. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. You want to make a final point? i got to move along here, Pam. So oh, sure, Tom. I just want to ask a question. What is the likelihood? Because they've also said, well, you know, when if we win Georgia and turn, you know, uh, uh, Georgia completely blue, and then if uh, Biden get in office, then we'll get more of a, a stimulus package. Tom, please let me know. What, what do you think the chances of that really happening? And I'll hang up. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Here's what I think is really going on. I think that the only reason that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are willing to do this $300, uh, $600, $300 gift to America, and that's how they think of it, the only reason they're willing to do that is because down in Georgia, people are in pain and they're pissed off and they're going to be voting for, for Ossoff and Warnock uh, instead of Purdue and Loeffler because they know that Ossoff and Warnock want to make sure that they get support and and um, right now, David uh, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, I guess it's pronounced. Um, I keep wanting to go with the German pronunciation. Kelly Leffler um, uh, are opposed to people getting aid. They have been supportive of Mitch McConnell for the last six months in saying no to the Heroes Act, no to the two trillion dollar Compromise Act, and people are upset. And so now Mitch McConnell is going to say, "Okay, people in Georgia, we gave you something. Now vote for the Republicans. And I guarantee you 
that if Leffler and Purdue win, if the Republicans win down in Georgia, and we'll be talking about this in great detail with Greg Palast, if they win down in Georgia, you're not going to see another stimulus package make it through the Senate unless it has huge gifts for the billionaire class, the giant corporations, and the special interest groups, you know, the racists, the gun nuts, etc., that fund the Republican Party. That's the only way it's going to happen. Otherwise, you can forget about it. Well, let's try Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, been a while since I heard from you. I was starting to worry about you. <laughs> it's just been, you know, a long, hard fall for me. And, uh, but anyway, what I wanted to talk about is I have been watching C-SPAN a, a great deal because I can't watch regular TV. It makes me sick. My blood pressure goes up. And I have been watching Mitch McConnell push one nomination for a judge after another when they should have been working on the stimulus bill. They, he even had a nomination to the TVA. That got approved yesterday. And this infuriates me because they act like we the people don't matter, that we are nothing to them. They have become so arrogant with their financial segregation and their financial snobbery, they don't even think about what it's like to have nothing. We're going to have more homeless people on the streets. We're going to have more starvation. We have people who are sick. They won't even consider, you know, expanding Medicare for, for people who have nothing. And this is, you know, I'm mad. And I'm getting a lot of nasty, mad comments on my pages. And I'm doing what I can to calm people down. And I have been teaching people about Robert's Rules of Order. Go to your city council and learn. And here in Alabama, our governor finally made an announcement. There's $818 million of the CARES money that's been sitting there all this time that no one has applied for. It's going to expire next week. Hmm. They never told people we had the money. One of the, one of the men in the Senate wanted to use three hundred fifty seven million to create a wildlife park in the west part of Alabama. Look, luckily, they stopped that, but they gave ten million of this money to the lumber industry, which in Alabama is Georgia Pacific. They wow. they are going to come back into session in February and discuss how much tax Alabamians will have to pay on the twelve hundred dollars that we've already gotten. Yeah. Amazing. They're going to tax it. Amazing. Yes. Of course they are. They're Republicans. You know, average working people. I mean, you know, taxes on people making under $70,000 a year this year are going up because that was built into Donald Trump's 2017 tax cut for billionaires. You know, he's got to pay for it a little bit. So he's going to take it on our, our hide for the next nine years. Every year, the taxes on people making under $70,000 are going to go up because of the Republican tax package. I mean, That's it's just, one of the it's just nuts. By thinking. the way, Norma, uh, Louise just uh, flagged me. Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. my time, uh, I will be on C-SPAN, just FYI. So, oh, good. That will be nice. That will be nice. But, you know, I, I, I spend a great deal of time trying to teach people how this works. And one of, the, one of my weapons is the Powell Memorandum. And I have come to the conclusion that these corporate people, which means our Congress, our Congress is a corporate Congress. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's a corporate Congress. And I try to teach them how this works. And these people want the Powell Memorandum as a constitution. Yeah. I'm hoping yeah. that we win well, in Georgia. 
Yeah, it has been their marching orders, essentially, since 1971 when, when Lewis Powell wrote it. Norma, thank you. It's great to hear from you, and, and uh, you know, I hope all is well, and I'll keep you in my thoughts and prayers. Norma, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the Tom Hartman Program, your media support group for We the People. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind? You, my brother, you done stole my thunder once again, uh, Tom Hartman. Oh, no, what did uh, I do? I got the police looking for you right now. Uh, listen, <laughs> the only reason why... The only reason why that stimulus bill passed, and you're right, is because Mr. McConnell can see what is going on in Georgia. And in case y'all don't know what's going on in Georgia, now check this out. These folks have got 75,000 new registered voters since the general election. The mail-in ballots that have started record-breaking. And as you know from listening to the Tom Harper program, that favors the blue more than the red candidates. All right? Yeah. So that's why he passed that, because they don't have they, these uh, the Republicans. I call them Republicans. The Republicans, they didn't have a message for those people down there in Georgia. And you're right, my brother, they're starving, and they, they were looking for a bone. And this was the bone that they threw them. And you're right. If those two Republicans get up in there, we ain't going to see no more money. We haven't seen no money in nine months, seven months, eight months, right? Uh, so nothing's going to change just because of the year changed. And uh, I'm going to close with this, my brother, with respect to the COVID-19 situation, right? When you got American commercial businesses in the forefront, people aren't, aren't trustworthy. When we know that the Cubans are the leading medical technicians in the world, and we know that the World Health Organization got some sharp people, too. And we're turning our backs on both of them. So people yeah. maybe subliminally feel that, oh, it looks like some politics being paid. So that's got something to do also with people not trusting taking that shot. And thank you, my brother. I'm going to give you a pass for yeah. stealing my thunder. All right. Okay. Thank you, Morris. Always great to hear from you. appreciate the call. Jose in Granada, Granada Hills, California. Hey, Jose, what's up? Granada Hills. <laughs> Granada. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I was hearing on uh, Ralph Nader, he was talking about when the Democrats raise taxes on the rich, it only hurts the middle class because the, uh, the rich know how to get around the taxes. And so the Republicans, you know, they say, well, right away when you guys get into office, all you're going to do is raise taxes on everybody. And like you said, it becomes the Santa Claus effect. So how do you combat that? Well, you, you write the tax law in ways that the Republican, that the, the, the rich people can't figure out a way around it. I mean, you know, we have been drilling Swiss cheese size holes in our tax code ever since 1981. And, exactly. uh, and, and by the way, it's happened under both Republican and Democratic administrations. And yeah, it's time yeah, to put a yeah. stop to that practice. But it, I mean, it's just very they straightforward. The, right. they, only see the, they only see the Democratic part of it, but they don't see the Republican part. <laughs> yeah. And right now, right now well, we're too divided. It doesn't make sense how we're going to make anything come together. Well, I think that it's going to take a collapse of the Republican Party, and I think it's on the verge of collapse right now. The, the one thing that it's got that the Democratic Party doesn't have is a bunch of very politically active right-wing billionaires who have built a network 
of right-wing think tanks, literally one in every state, right-wing mm-hmm. organizing systems, one in every state, a machine to produce legislation, ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, that has representatives mm-hmm. from every state. They hold these meetings. Um, and, and, and a right-wing radio network with over 1,500 stations constantly churning out right-wing propaganda 24-7, 365. The Democrats have none of those things. All they have, all the Democrats have on their side is truth. And so it gets a little complicated. Jose, thanks for the call. Spot on. On the Science Revolution this week is Melissa Troutman and Joshua Boaz Probanik on their new documentary with Mark Ruffalo, Invisible Hand. The rights of nature movement captured in Invisible Hand changes nature's status from property to a living entity which fixes a fundamental flaw within societies worldwide that contributes to everything from genocide to ecocide. Across the globe, communities are creating new legal systems that grant legal, enforceable rights to nature, thereby honoring the rights of all people, too. This documentary shows when we enact and enforce the rights of nature, we restore the sanctity and equanimity of all life, including human beings. Tune into The Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. On the line with us is Greg Pallas, the investigative journalist and author of How Trump Stole 2020, or at least tried to. GregPallas.com is his website. His Twitter handle is Greg underscore Pallas. Greg, are you back from Georgia? Are you still down there? I just arrived back from Georgia. I'm taking a Christmas break, trying to stay a little bit safer. But my God, it was, it was uh, skullduggery, fun and games, madness. You have no idea. Well, actually, I'll tell you what the idea is if you, you want to hear the please, craziness please that went do on. So. Okay, so when uh, we last left our tale, our last discussion, Black Voters Matter, uh, the Hispanic uh, Rights Group, Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, Operation Push, all these big voting rights organizations uh, sued the state of Georgia because they had, I had discovered, if you remember, uh, the removal 
of 198,000 voters illegally from the voter rolls of Georgia. They just said they moved, and they never did. They're right there. I'm talking to them. I'm filming them. They're saying, I, I, why can't I vote? I'm, I'm still in Georgia. So these major organizations and these top voting rights lawyers led by the National Bar Association, C.K. Hoffler, uh, Fred Gray, who was Rosa Parks' lawyer back even back in 1954. Like he, uh, he turned 90 at the trial. So here's what happened. Right. The judge gave us a trial, but he said on a technicality, we didn't give enough notice to the state to get an injunction to get people back on before the election. So the lawyer said, well, okay, so let's give them notice. So we filed a new suit with new notice. So that'll be two. And we notified the Secretary of State were coming by to drop off the suit and give him notice, followed by, by the way, all the local TV cameras and CNN and everyone else. So we went up into the Capitol, across from Brian Kemp's office, to deliver the material to the Secretary of State with the cameras rolling. They locked the doors. They turned out the lights. They put on a little yellow taggy that, uh, with a cell phone number. We called that, and it you know, just went to voicemail. So they were literally hid in the dark for two hours. So we said, okay, we have another route. Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter said, let's go another way. So we went over to another state office building, and lo and behold, there, hiding behind a door, was the director of elections uh, for the state of Georgia. He came out, and we you know, slapped the suit on him. But even more, the judge had said, listen, you've got real problems you know, you've clearly removed people who haven't moved. There's a terrible discrepancies in your purge list. That's the, the term for removing voters. And you have to meet. You should meet with the experts and meet with Black Voters Matter and Greg Palast. So here we were. And they said, so when are you going to meet with us? The judge said, meet with us. And he was hemming and hawing. And then also, and the cameras are rolling, so he's trying to get out of there. He's, mm. uh, so then I asked him something else. The state said, the state gave the told the court that they had checked with the post office. The post office, there's licensees who can get in the post office computers. And because, you know, who knows if you've moved? It's the post office. And uh, they said that they used the post office checked. We checked, and they didn't. They hired, uh, they claimed that they hired uh, some contractor named Anchor. We, we hired Anchor, that is Black Voters Matter and the Palace Investigative Fund. They said they never worked with the state of Georgia. They basically pulled a con on the court. And um, so I, I confronted them with it. I said, you, you actually, in effect, you perjured yourself to the court to get out of putting these voters back on the voter rolls. And don't forget, mm-hmm. Tom, this, what's unusual about this case, here's about whether voters are wrongly removed from the voter rolls. And we know what color they are because we've met them, Mr. Diaz, Mr. Watson, um, Martin Luther King's cousin, these people who've never left Georgia. And, um, you know, so they, uh, they conned the court into, uh, with uh, this material to try to avoid getting these people back on. And the Republican National Committee joined the case on behalf of the state. It's like, why is the RNC here? Why is the, the, the top hitmen, including Trump's, by the way, personal lawyers who are defending him against uh, potential criminal charges in New York, um, why are they in the case? Why are they trying to stop voters from voting? In Georgia, I mean, if you want to win the election, isn't the uh, the Democratic small D uh, the Democratic way is to um, convince the voters to vote for you as opposed to blocking them because you don't like their color? That's how it's supposed to work. 
Yeah, you you thought that. Remember in the sixth grade, you were told, you know, everyone everyone gets to vote if you're a citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, welcome to Georgia. I mean, maybe in America, but not in Georgia. So we're still fighting it, and now we got this uh, uh, second lawsuit. So let's see what they uh, if they're going to continue to block these voters. We've gone, th- we've gotten a lot thousands back on. In fact, the judge noted that, and they said, "Oh, this can- creates confusion." But the fun and games, literally, I-, I haven't had targets of my investigations do that in a long time. Literally, turn out the lights, lock themselves in, and hide in the dark. And you have to understand, this is in the state capitol. Across from the governor's is this, office, is this because, like, uh, you know, this this whole thing about you know you've got to give, you've got to serve people, you've got to physically hand the papers to them. Is that a legal requirement? Yes. I mean, did you actually have to physically say here? Yes, we had to physically say here are the papers, accept them. Now you have to understand, we notified them, we called them, we issued a press release, even you know, join us. So you know, so because the local, you know, all the uh, local and some national television wanted to get this and the reporters. Um, you know, and and they so they they literally hid, and but they forgot that we figured you know that we found that we literally hunted them down. It was ridiculous. You have some of the top lawyers in the United States. You have Black Voters Matter, Latasha Brown. All these people are all you know, and they're hiding. So then we run off to this other state office and we catch them. We get them on camera. In fact, that's one thing that the that the courts that our uh, lawyers are very concerned with that we actually have videotape of them accepting the suit. We got the director of elections. We said, uh, one of our lawyers said, oh, I see a timestamp machine there. Would you timestamp this? This is all on videotape. Because these guys will deny we ever gave them the, the papers. You know, and so Amazing. they're playing games. So what the issue so is, what does this mean 190,000 Georgians who, who uh, uh, Kemp had thrown off the voting rolls before he became governor, um, yes. if that is the, the genesis of this, what happens yes. to those people now? Do they still have to, will they be able to vote in the election? Unfortunately, well, we, we think that we have about 20,000 back on because we ran a, a heck of a campaign, including a giant electronic billboard featuring um, Rosario Dawson telling people, check your registration. So we had a big check your registration campaign so people would know if they were called. We, we had massive calling done by, um, by the uh, Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, um, you know, in English and Spanish. We, so we got tens of thousands of people back on. We don't know how many exactly, but I'm going to tell you, over 100,000 people are going to show up and not be able to vote. We already got a lot of these people try to vote in the, in the general, and they don't know what the heck happened. Um, they don't know why they were removed from the voter rolls. And a lot of people then filled out provisional ballots because the federal law says if you show up and you can't vote, you must, by federal law, be given this provisional ballot. But by Georgia law, they can't count the ballot. So, so, yeah, so you get to pretend you voted. And unfortunately, a lot of people, I talked to one voter, uh, the Waymer family, uh, they were knocked off. They were given provisional ballots, and they thought that they had voted because they were given provisional ballots. But I said, unfortunately, no. Um, and this, it's a tragedy because people don't, because then people also don't realize that they have to re-register. So I hope this. It's amazing. We'll see yeah. what the Greg, what stick final around. Result I, I, I want to do a little, a little deeper dive into this whole topic. We've okay, got Greg yes. Palace with us. He is the investigative journalist and author of uh, his most recent book, How Trump Stole 2020. GregPalace.com, P-A-L-A-S-T.com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. We'll be right back.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back in just a moment with Greg Powell. Stick around. And welcome back, Greg. Uh, um, so uh, it looks like even though you ha- just to, so I understand what's going on. The, the court said you didn't give the, the secretary of state enough notice. You gave them that notice over the last day or two. Yeah, that is not in, in, in that's not in time for those people to automatically be put back in the voter rolls for the January. It's the fifth, right? The election. Well, we have, like I say, we have the best voting rights lawyers in the country, and they're going to try to um, try to get another injunction, see if we can get them back on. It's ridiculous. And again, the fun and get, you know, the, you know, it's absurd. You have the Secretary of State hiding in the dark, trying not to receive a legal paper. All the cameras are rolling. It's nuts. It just shows to what lengths they will go. So we will that try. That perjure. Rassen Perger, that's really his name. And, um, you know, but this is just one of the games. I mean, one of the things I should say is that I wish that that were the only evil thing that they were doing, the only Jim Crow trick. I was down in Cobb County, which is normally Republican. They voted for Biden in Cobb County. Oh, I used to live there in Cobb County. We we were the ones who sent Newt Gingrich to Congress. (laughs) Yes. So Newt Gingrich's county went for Biden, and so they panicked. So there are 11 early voting stations in uh, Cobb County. There were for the general election, and now they're panicked that all these uh, Democrats and liberals, black folk, brown folk are coming in by the thousands to vote early. So they closed six of the 11 voting stations in Cobb County. All the voting stations that were closed were in African-American neighborhoods. I mean, this is not like 1955. Um, so they literally closed the six early voting stations in Cobb County that were in the African-American neighborhoods. And then, of course, people moved to the other voting stations where you ended up with three-hour lines. By the way, Tom, the turnout is way above the presidential election, which was a high turnout. to be. That was a record turnout. And that record's being busted in the in the early voting right now. Every day, lines three, four hours long. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, people are not going to be dissuaded. They can move the polling stations to the Arctic, and they're going to and the public is going to show up. I mean, people yeah. are going to vote. Yeah. The question is, will their votes be counted? Well, this is a big problem because, for example, I three voters. One of the things that people are doing. I mean. Uh, uh, one good sign is that people are not mailing in their ballots. I can't tell you how many people have contacted our, uh, you know, gregpalace.com to say, I mailed in my vote 10 days before the election, 12 days before the election, and they said it was late. So people are now going to drop boxes. But two of the three voters that I encountered putting votes in drop boxes forgot their return address on the envelope. They figured, well, I'm dropping it off. It's, you know, I don't need a return address. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. They'll do anything to knock out your vote. It is ugly. And any little mistake on that mail-in, drop, well, basically drop-off ballot that people are putting in those boxes, because they don't want to wait, and some people can't and don't want to wait three hours. In addition, we have the GOP ready for this. They're putting cameras above the drop boxes. 
to try to identify people they say are illegally dropping off ballots because you can't drop off someone's ballot unless you live in their household. I mean, so they run a spy network to say, oh, that's not someone living in that household that dropped off the ballot. It's nuts. That's crazy. Stick around. We'll be right back. We're talking with Greg Palace. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Greg Palast on the line with us. So, Greg, Louise and I used to live in Cobb County, so I had an opportunity every two years to vote against Newt Gingrich. And someday remind me to tell you the whole story about Newt coming to the public schools in a way that produced such a local uproar that one of my kids ended up homeschooling out of this. Uh, it's an amazing story. I mean, this is how politicized Newt had, uh, had gotten our schools. Um, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was just amazing. Um, but in any case, uh, it, did I hear you during the break we were talking, and did I understand you correctly to say that all of the early voting locations in Cobb County, Cobb County is about half black, that all of the voting locations in Cobb County and black neighborhoods were closed and if so, was that Raffsenperger who did that, the Secretary of State, or was it no, Brian it Kemp, was, the governor? Um, the, the, so not only did the people vote for uh, Joe Biden, but they threw out some of those county commissioners. So the lame duck Republican county commissioners closed those early voting stations. By the way, Tom, uh, that is, the ACLU tells me that's completely against the law. Barbara Arnwine, the top voting rights expert in America, Professor Arnwine at Columbia University, um, she was there in Cobb, you know, and they, you know, and so there was pressure, so they reopened two of those. But that's just the beginning. We also had in Cobb County, in, in Georgia, you have this weird system that anyone can challenge anyone else's vote or registration. So we have that organization, this right-wing and, frankly, racist organization called True the Vote that is literally challenging. Are you ready for this? 300,000 voters on the Georgia voter rolls, overwhelmingly voters of color and young people, 300,000, because any voter can challenge another voter. Yeah, true, those true the vote is the modern incarnation of, uh, right, it's the modern yeah. incarnation of Operation Eagle Eye, the, the thing that William oh, Rehnquist yeah. helped start back in Arizona in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, where they would go to polling places and challenge voters, because Arizona had a similar law, and he used that to challenge uh, Hispanic and, and Native American voters for years. I mean, that's how William Rehnquist made his chops in the Republican Party and started clawing his way up to becoming you know, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. It was you know, his, his racist efforts to stop people of color from voting in Arizona. So you know, now we've got this national organization funded by racist right-wing billionaires. I mean, it's just mind-boggling, the whole thing. Um, Can you imagine? So, I mean, and I, as I said, they're even having cameras above the drop boxes so they can do face recognition and say, oh, that person doesn't live with the person whose ballot they dropped off. Are you kidding me? Right. It, you know, and right. then you What's have to next? go through a challenge. Understand, if your registration is challenged, you can get pulled off the voter rolls, and then you have to go to a hearing. And, of course, when's the hearing going to be? Next year, after the, after the vote's after over? the election. You're yeah. talking a third of a million voters facing a challenge right now by these right-wing crazies. Well, they, I don't know if they're crazies. Maybe they're very smart, because maybe that's the only way that they can uh, keep Mitch McConnell from unemployment. 
So does that mean that the 300,000 names that, that True the Vote has thrown out of Georgia voters, uh, not thrown out, has, has put forward? That, 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 yeah, has challenged. Thank you. That, that, that those 300,000 people, when they show up to vote or when they mail in their vote, um, it will be set aside and not counted? That's what they're that's what they're counting on, and uh, and very and or if they mail in their ballots, it'll be set aside and not counted, and then there'll have to be a whole fight over each of those ballots. It's madness. Now understand, there's 159 counties in Georgia, and each one will make decisions about this. And what we're worried about is especially in those rural counties where we have literally bus loads of lawyers running around to try to protect the voters. And they can't stop every challenge. They can't challenge every challenge. It's, it's gone. It's completely out of control, the Jim Crow operation, completely out of control. Yeah. And, and large, uh, large you know, chunks and, of rural Georgia, having lived there for 13 years, large chunks of rural Georgia are black counties. I mean, there's there's white rural Georgia and there's black rural Georgia. And, yep. and uh, uh, you know, so. they're also, by the way, because there's massive early voting, and as you know, uh, African-Americans tend to vote on Sundays after church souls to the polls, which is harder to do because of COVID, but um, the counties have stopped um, uh, opening some, many, most counties, 120 of the counties, have not had weekend voting. That's against the law. They literally shut the polls because they know black people... Right. Working during the week, have to vote on weekends. Greg, they're Republicans. They don't care about the law. They'll deal with the law after the election. They only care about getting power. So if they can win the election, they can lose the lawsuits afterwards. But they still have that political position, don't they? Well, that's what we're trying to convince the courts, that you have to act now. Otherwise, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's devastating. But you know what? People are energized by the fact that they're trying to steal a vote is actually energizing people. Because they realize if someone's stealing your vote, it must be worth something. People, I've never seen turnouts like this. Every day is like election day. It's stunning. And people will not leave the lines. I'm just worried about the harassment that's going on. And, of course, and, and add to this the overlayer of the white supremacists running around with their you know, swastika tattoos, intimidating voters. Right. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Greg, you're doing God's work. GregPalace.com, you can read all about it. Greg, great talking with you today. Thanks so much for dropping by and giving us an in-depth story on what's going on. Really appreciate it. I'll call you from Georgia. Thank you. GregPalace.com. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 